Welcome to the Unplugged Podcast, where we believe that if you can breathe, you can meditate. All of the answers lie within you, and that you are one meditation away from feeling 10 times better. Today, you'll hear from the best meditation instructors in the world, whose only intention is to help you experience the life-changing benefits of meditation. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Unplugged Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking to Tracy Stanley, who is most popular on the Unplug app for her sleep meditations that will conk you out immediately. She knows how to get you calm when you're stressed and just make you feel good every single day. Tracy, someone I also sent on the Oprah Winfrey Share the Adventure Cruise, where she taught a thousand people how to meditate on sh- a ship and also on land. And we're so excited to have you here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's so great to see you, Susie. Same with you. I love seeing your face and I listen to you all the time. So I feel like you're always with me. But I want to hear really about your story, where you were born, what your family was like, how you became such a legend in this space. I know you don't really see yourself like that, but everybody else sees you like that. Um, yeah, and I would just like to hear all about that. So if you could just <laughs> yeah, share. Yeah, so, so the story begins um, on Long Island uh, in New York. And my dad um, was just out of the military when I was born. And it was the time of affirmative uh, action. And so Prudential Insurance Company um, was hiring their first African-American agent. And my mom uh, was a um, social worker. And so she worked with um, people who were suffering from severe autism and other mental disabilities. And so I grew up um, in a very structured home. My dad, like I said, he was from the military. So everything was very much like on time, you know, consistent, you had rules, you had to listen. Um, My grandmother, um, my Nana uh, was a reverend. She She was a preacher. So we spent a lot of time, um, I did, spent a lot of time with my mom in church. And so that was a very big influence in my life. Um, I went to private Lutheran school. So it was, everything was very structured. (laughs) Um, I was, I would say not encouraged to be anything other than polite and quiet and um, really kind of contained at a very young age. Yeah. And so I really, um, I don't know that I was naturally an introvert, but I became an introvert just because of the circumstances of how I was being raised. So when I say that my, my dad was strict, it was really like in growing up, there's no such thing as going on play dates. There's no, even though I was in the brownies, I couldn't go on camping trips. I was, they, my parents actually prided themselves in the fact that they never let me out of their sight. And essentially my brother and I 
were never left alone with any kind of babysitter other than the a relative being my Nana was the only one who was really allowed to watch us. Um, and at some point, my dad, who was a huge inspiration in my life, um, noticed that there was a ceiling um, as far as where he was working and the amount of money that he was going to be able to make. And so he was always a very kind of out of the box thinker. And he really believed that he could do anything, that there was, that there was nothing that was going to stand in his way of doing what he wanted to be able to thrive, to provide for his family. And that in fact, I would say for him, thriving was a form of resistance against everything that had been happening up to then. Um, and so he just realized at some point that on Long Island, this is back in the day when insurance salesmen would go door to door, that none of the um, white insurance salesmen were going to the black neighborhoods. So he decided that he would, that was gonna be his territory and what he was gonna focus on. And he became within like a year or two of joining Prudential, like one of their top selling um, insurance agents. And so it was very interesting to me to see somebody um, who was able to really set a goal and figure out what needed to happen to achieve that goal and then to follow through with it. Um, and just his entrepreneurial spirit. I mean, one of my, you know, first jobs that I can remember other than delivering the penny saver was putting flyers on cars when he decided that he was going to open his own insurance agency, which everybody told him, you're never going to be able to do that. That's never going to work, especially because all of the longtime agents that had been there had never actually even conceived of opening their own insurance agency. So I was able at a really young age to be able to see what was possible. And for me, what was possible was whatever I put my mind to and kind of figuring out, um, knowing that there are obstacles, knowing that there's racism, knowing that there's all these other things that are in place that aren't even seen um, and trying to figure out ways to move around them um, and to acknowledge that they're there and at the same time uh, be able to come up with a plan. Um, he was also somebody who took me to see my first documentary in a theater, um, which was Eyes on the Prize, which was a documentary series by um, PBS at the time about Martin Luther King. And that really affected me where I somehow intuitively understood the power of film. And so that kind of rode with me for, for a while. Um, I just loved documentaries and loved movies. And at the same time, um, when I was going to school, after high school, I, my plan was to be a lawyer. So that was the plan. And as I was going to school, again, I had to live at home. So I wasn't, all my friends were going away to college 
And my parents were like, no, you have to find a college that's like within driving distance because you're gonna live home. <laughs> you're not going away. That's how strict they were. Um, and so I was going to Stony Brook and at some point um, I was on the train going from where I lived to Stony Brook and a woman walked up to me and she said, hi, you know, I'm, I'm Whitney Houston's makeup artist and I think that you should think about modeling. And up until that point, um, I had always been teased. I had always been bullied um, at severe, severe bullying in school. So I never thought of myself as being someone who was attractive because I was too skinny, I was too dark, my hair wasn't pressed. There were all these things that were like not right about how I looked. Um, and so that was an interesting moment in time to have someone kind of come up to you and say, oh, I think that I, I see something in you that nobody else has ever seen before, even though there probably were people who had seen that before, something, you know, attractive or light about me. But as far as I was concerned, I didn't know that that was possible. Right. That, so it was really interesting. And then I wound up leaving. Um, I wound up leaving school and going to Paris. And from there, I kind of went all around Paris and lived in Paris for a while, lived in Germany, lived in London, lived in Athens, and just basically was doing the modeling thing for, for a while. Um, and mostly it was because I wanted to get out of the house. I Can wanted I ask to be- you a quick question about yeah. that? So you left to be, what agency were you with when you were a model? The first agency that I was with was David Bossman. It was called Boss Models. Mm -hmm. So it was, yeah, yeah. So it, and it was not a small agency, but it was actually funny because my boyfriend at the time wanted to be an actor and he was, you know, going in for a go-see. And then David Bossman came out and he's like, we're gonna come with me. We're gonna do a shoot on the top of the roof. And, and he was at the time, I think the agency was on Gansport. Um, and so I went up to the roof, didn't know what the heck I was doing. I, I didn't have any makeup on, my hair wasn't done. He basically did this shoot on this Polapan <laughs> um, film that developed like right away. Mm -hmm. And he developed the pictures and um, I came back to the agency like a couple of days later and he's like, okay, we're gonna call um, Nina at L. And he picked up the phone and he's like, we're calling Nina, if, I, don't, I think her name was Nina. And uh, we're gonna send you to, to L right now. And so within like two days, first of all, I was painfully shy, uh -huh. <laughs> like painfully shy. And I would even go so far as to say that I had some sort of undiagnosed social anxiety, right? And I get to L and I meet Nina and Nina, you know, calls him back and it's like this whole thing. And she's like, you know, she's a little shy. She's a little, you know, she needs to go to Paris. And so that's how I wound up going to Paris. And did you work with Patrick Kelly when you were there? You know what? Oh, that's so funny. So I love you know Patrick. Patrick. 
was I was Patrick's assistant in 19, oh my gosh, 87, 86 and eight, no, 87 and 88. Okay, so, so I didn't work with Patrick because um, I think around the time that this was happening, I, prior, I had learned about the sample sale. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So before that, we were, you know, shopping at Century 21. And then someone was like, no, 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 you have to go to the sample sale. And so we would go to Patrick's studio. So I probably saw you at some point around that time. Um, and Rue we would go. What's that? It was on Rue de Parc Royale in La Marais in the third <sighs> arrondissement in Paris. Yeah, I don't, I'm trying to remember. That's where it was. I, I'm, I'm trying to visualize it. I don't visualize, what I remember is Coco Mitchell. Yes, I knew and Coco so well. Co Coco, it's, I, she was my like icon. Coco Mitchell and Munya. Katushka and- Munya. Munya, yes, and Magic. And they would all say, okay, you have to go to the sample sale. This is where you go and how you get the clothes and da, 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 da. And so, yes. And I just absolutely adored him. That was my dream was to work with, with Patrick Kelly. Yeah, he was honestly, oh, I love him. Anyway, sorry, had to interject the Patrick there. Yeah, so, um, so essentially I just, you know, wanted to, to really experience the world because I had been so sheltered. And one of the things that I would always do because, you know, they love to put you in the model house. And at some point I figured out, well, wait a second, I'm spending more in the model house than I would if I rented an apartment and I'm living with like 10 people. And it's essentially like not being in a different country because you're with a bunch of like American models. So I, what I would do is I would get in and I would find an apartment or a roommate from someone who actually lived in the place where I was staying so that I could experience more of the culture. Um, and eventually I found my way to South Africa um, on a contract. And when I was there, there it was one morning, um, I was sitting on my balcony. I was living in Tombors Kloof, um, which overlooks, not overlooks, but it has a view to Table Mountain. And the sun was coming up and it was fog and it was just beautiful. And something just happened in that moment that I was sitting there that was like this complete unveiling of stillness and peace. And at the same time, this knowing like, epiphanies were dropping down of all the questions that I had, all of a sudden I had these answers. And it didn't last for very long, but I knew something really profound happened. So I kept asking friends and the people that I was living with at the time, telling them what happened. And they were just like looking at me like I had 12 heads. And then finally I asked, um, one friend, his name was Andoni, and he said, oh, I know exactly what happened to you. I'm going to take you somewhere. And he took me to the spiritual bookstore in Cape Town. No, it was in Johannesburg, sorry, in Johannesburg. And he basically piled up like six or seven books. And he said, read these. 
luckily, because I was such an introvert and I was never allowed out, reading was my pastime. <laughs> so as a kid, I would literally read the encyclopedias all the way through. That was basically my how I would entertain myself. So I just started digging into all of these books. And that was the thing that shifted my entire life. So read a number of books, including Way of the Peaceful Warrior. And not too long after that, I was flying from Cape Town to Johannesburg. And my good friend, Linda Zappa, came to pick me up at the airport. And we decided on the way that, oh, let's stop and get a tea. So we went to the Roseburg Mall and we got a tea and my stuff was in the car. And when I, we were walking back, I saw one of my shoes on the ground with broken glass. And I was like, oh, I think somebody might've broken into your car. And so essentially everything that I owned was stolen out of her car with the exception of um, the book I was reading at the time, which was Long Walk to Freedom by Nelson Mandela. And inside that book was my passport and my ticket home because back in those days you had like a paper ticket, right? <laughs> and you needed to have that paper ticket because if you didn't have that paper ticket, you your ticket was gone. And so I, you know, it was just this bizarre moment where it took me back to Way of the Peaceful Warrior when the gas station is burning down. And I was like, oh, this is just a moment for me to shift. Like somehow this is the end of something and something else is beginning. And I'm not at all freaked out at the fact that my tear sheets and all the work that I had done for however long was basically gone. It's time for me to move on and to do what I'm here to do, because I know this isn't it. I'm kind of, you know, taking time to travel around the world, but this is not like, I don't wanna be, um, I remember saying to myself, I don't wanna be 30 years old and still modeling, right? Um, and not that there's anything wrong with that, but I knew that that was not what I was supposed to be doing. And so I called the agency and I told them all of my clothes, everything I own, all my tear sheets, all my books, all my Z cards, everything is gone. I have my ticket and I have long walk to freedom and I'm, I'm getting on the next flight back to LA. And they were like, how could you do that? You Don't you know the Germans are, are here and they booked you for a week for Speedo and they don't book black girls and da da da. And I was like, I don't care, I'm, I'm leaving. And they had such a hard time comprehending that I would leave that they then started to try to project that my friend Linda must have planned the entire thing of my things to be stolen. And I was like, no, 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 <laughs> we're, not, we're not gonna go there. That's not what happened. And I got on the plane and uh, got home and I had that documentary and documentaries always in my mind. And while I was in South Africa, I was actually doing film. I was filming on 16 millimeter and some other cameras that I was able to purchase because there was an embargo at the time on film. 
So I was able to pick up these um, movie cameras really cheaply because the film was not available, but I could get the film sent to me from friends in LA. Um, so I had been shooting and I had some ideas for documentaries and things that I wanted to do while I, you know, stories that I saw happening um, in front of my eyes in South Africa, especially because it was right around the time that uh, Mandela had been elected president. And so I said to myself, oh, I think the thing I want to do is figure out how a movie gets financed. How does it, how do you raise money to make a movie? And within a week of me coming back home, um, a friend of mine who used to own this club called the Roxbury, he was one of the owners. Um, he called me out of the blue and said, hey, I just wanna let you know I'm starting this film company and I'm wondering if you, I don't know why, but something told me maybe you would wanna come an intern. So I was like, oh, this is, you know, very fortuitous and synchronistic. Um, and what I did was I basically worked for him for a year as an intern. And as I did that, I found three projects that wound up getting financed because simultaneously his brother had his company that he was starting. His brother was a little bit more charismatic, a little bit more business friendly. He was married to a famous actress. And so his movies were getting actually getting financed. So at some point it was like, we were doing all the reading and finding these projects. And then his brother would kind of swoop in and take the projects and they would get made. Um, and after about the third project, um, the brother came to me and this is kind of after the earthquake that happened. Um, and there was some, something around a house falling down and the guy that I was working with didn't have insurance on his house and he was gonna have to rebuild it and basically was going about to go bankrupt. And so the brother called and said, hey, I am, um, you know, you've had three projects that have all gotten financed. They've all gotten released by Sony. And so obviously you have a really good eye. I wanna hire you. And my wife, who at the time was Tia Carrera, the, the owner's wife, um, she needs a development girl so to look for projects for her. So I would love for you to come meet Tia and then you guys see if you can work together. And so we worked together and um, we started, the company was very small at the time. And we basically took the company from being essentially like four employees to like 40 employees um, over a span of 10 to around 10 years. Um, so that's what I did for a very long time. And, you know, was head of development and production at three different companies. Um, and at the same time, luckily, when I came back, I actually found a yoga studio. And in that I discovered meditation. And I also discovered that yoga was really the key to me staying calm in the midst of turmoil because being in the film business, especially when you're juggling, you know, 10 projects at a time and lots of money and financing, there's a lot of, um, there's just a, a lot 
that can happen. And if you're not clear, um, and if you're you're not able to tune into your intuition to kind of sense when something might be off, because that actually happened where there was something that was off on one of the projects. Um, and I had to leave the company because I was like, wait a second, something's not right with these numbers. Like there's something going on here. I don't know what it is, but I need to leave because I'm feeling like something is not in integrity. And that's very common. Um, that can be a very common thing that happens. There's a lot of power that's available. There's a lot of money that's available. Um, and so it's, it's the main reason why I'm no longer in the film business because I didn't wanna be around that energy any longer. Um, but at some point prior to leaving, I decided I wanted to open a yoga studio. And so I opened a yoga studio in West Hollywood on uh, right next to Kings Road Cafe. <laughs> Before we go from there, what was the first yoga studio that you went to? That the very, oh yeah, the very first you yoga studio. You open up a yoga studio. Um, well, I didn't have, the, well, that's a whole nother tangent, but um, the first yoga studio I ever went to was called Angel City Yoga in Studio City. Uh -huh. And so I came, when I came back from South Africa, I, you know, looked in the phone book or whatever it was and found the closest place, which uh -huh. was not far from my house and went to Angel City. And I walked in and I told them that I had never done yoga before. And they said, okay, go to this class. And they pointed me to the left. And I went into the class on the left and it was a Kundalini class. Wow. And at the end of the class, I I'll never forget, the teacher was playing the gong and I literally felt like my whole chest open up and I felt like someone was pouring this molten gold into my heart. I had never had that sensation before. Wow. And I was sitting there after class, just kind of like vibrating in this like radiant gold feeling and the woman who was in front of me, who knew that it was my first time, she turned around and she looked at me and she said, so did you feel it? And I was like, wait a second. So essentially what you're really saying is that this was an intentional thing that's happened. Somehow there was an alchemy happening in this class that ends with something magical. Mm -hmm. And so, I just started going to class five days a week. Wow, that's so cool. And it was amazing. And then one day the teacher was sick. This is after about like maybe four years of going to Kundalini classes four days a week and then finding Yoga West and starting to go to Yoga West as well. Um, and the teacher was not there. And the woman at the front desk said, oh, just go into the other class to the right. I had never been to the right before. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so I went to that class and there was a teacher by the name of Matt Pasadian that was teaching and it was a Hatha yoga class. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wait a second, this isn't yoga <laughs> because <laughs> I had only known this other thing. Um, and, but the ego part of myself was watching, you know, these women, mostly women who were, I think it was all women actually in the class you know, standing on their hands and doing all the things. And so I was like, well, I need to learn how to do this. So I started to kind of 
mix the two together. I would do Kundalini a couple times a week and then I would do Hatha Yoga a couple times a week. And then um, I started practicing with Brian Kest. And Brian was having a, uh, he was having a yoga retreat. Mm -hmm. And I decided, and this was gonna be my first time taking a vacation in like seven years because it was the grind culture Mm -hmm. for me. And even though I was, um, so this is before I opened the yoga studio. So even though, you know, I was doing yoga, I was definitely doing it in a way that was very goal oriented. And so when I decided, okay, I'm going to go on this yoga retreat, I should just pick a yoga book to bring with me so that I could read a little more about yoga. I went to the uh, Bodhi tree when it was still open and I picked up a book and it was the yoga, a translation of the yoga sutras. No idea why I had picked up this book of this translation of the yoga sutras because I had, don't think maybe somebody had mentioned it in class and so it attracted me, but it, I was not conscious. And when I was on the retreat, I read through the entire book. As I was reading the book, I felt this vibration that was an interesting vibration because it was a vibration that I would often feel just walking into the Bodhi tree. Um, But I would also get very excited whenever I was around a lot of books or in a bookstore. And I remember reading Sutra 136, which basically talks about this light that is beyond all sorrow. That is something that is in each of us that's eternal. And I talk about this all the time because it's this light that was there before you had a name. It will be there when you no longer have a body. And also the eight limbs of yoga and the purpose of yoga of this union with the divine. And I was like, well, wait a second. I'm not sure that the yoga I'm doing right now is leading me here in this systematic way that is kind of outlined in the yoga sutras. So I want to learn more about now what I'm discovering is yoga philosophy. Um, And I started to ask around and to some teachers and people that I knew had been practicing for a really, really long time. Do you know Jodi Guber? Yeah, so her mom, Tara Guber, was one of the people that I asked Um, because I knew she'd been doing yoga for a long time. And she directed me to a couple of teachers. And then I started going to their classes. And the first class that I went to with this one teacher was a yoga nidra class where he was doing a satsang and teaching yoga nidra. Um, And the type of yoga that he was teaching, his name was Rod Rod Stryker, um, was tantric hatha yoga which was really a very interesting um, practice because there were so many practices that were familiar. That's my dog Bodhi barking in the background. There were so many practices that were familiar from Kundalini yoga and then things that I was doing in Hatha yoga and then things I had never even heard of or thought about or concepts that were just being introduced. Um, And so that was, Uh, a revelation. And one day I was having a massage and 
I had this epiphany that I needed to open a yoga studio. And it wasn't about me teaching yoga. It was about me just opening a yoga studio and having a place for people to practice that was accessible, um, that was on donation because I was very inspired by that part of um, Brian's teaching, making the teaching available for whatever you could afford to pay, even if it was a dollar or 50 cents, and that the universe would really take care of everything to make sure that it could keep going. Um, and so I opened that yoga studio and then of course, you know, people would call on the weekends and not be able to make it. And the only person who was available to teach at a drop of a dime was me most of the time on a weekend. So after that happened a couple of times, I thought, oh, well, I should probably do a yoga teacher training just so that I'm like showing up being responsible. And I did this yoga teacher training and within this, I would say by day two, I was like, okay, so yoga is really, really not what I thought yoga is. There's so much more to this practice. There's so much more to the, um, the Shakti that can be transmitted from teacher to student. And there's so much that can happen just from these practices of Swadhyaya. And that was really where um, I became much more serious in my studies, still also having a successful career as a producer. And then getting to the point where I wanted to try to start infusing what I was learning into the film sets and into the environment where I was working. And so, um, you know, at some point it was, I tried to marry those two things to, you know, bring those two things together, but it was a very interesting kind of dichotomy of, you know, here we are with Kevin Costner doing, you know, whatever, whatever thing at the wherever place for this premiere. And here we are over here doing a yoga teacher training. And so I really wanted to try to merge those two worlds together. Um, and I think I did the best that I could because I used the yogic principles in the way that I was living. So I really kind of early on figured out that this is not just about being on the mat, it's about how you live and infusing all of those principles into how you live. Um, and so that's, I feel like the thread that I always keep pulling on is really making life a sacred ritual, making life the yoga practice as opposed to a pose or a meditation or even a mantra practice, um, but just being able to weave those things in, um, in a way that supports life. What was the name of your studio? And are you still running that studio? Like what? Oh, no, no, <laughs> no. So the name of the studio was called Divine Motion. Mm -hmm. And I'm sorry, what? Where was it? It was on Kings Road and Beverly Boulevard, mm -hmm. um, right next to the Kings Road Cafe. Mm -hmm. So Kings Road Cafe was like our commissary. Um, and then at some point, 
I moved up to Mount Shasta for a few years and I opened a second studio there. Um, and then when I got divorced, um, we closed both studios. Mm -hmm. um, and at that point I was actually really very full time in teaching. And that's when I was like, okay, this, what, however long it's going to be, I don't know, you know, in the future that I feel like I can make more of an impact on the world if I can share these tools with people as opposed to making another action movie. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'm teaching full time. Yeah. <laughs> well, and it's not just like you're teaching full time. You're actually really hard to get, to be honest with you. Like as a studio owner, I've been trying to get you to teach it on plug full time for since we opened and trying to get you to even film on the app was like not an easy thing. So you're not like a normal teacher who's available. You're the kind of teacher that like you are so busy teaching and out there and doing these teacher trainings and your amazing cards that the empower cards that we did that whole series on. Yeah, that was fun. And you're like helping raise the vibration of so many of these amazing teachers like Zell and Jelani, who I love both of them that you- They're amazing. And now they're teaching. So it's like, it's pretty amazing what you've done in your story of, you know, and people love you, Tracy. Like your voice is just so rich and soothing and- I mean, no matter how stressed you are, my mom even says this, she's like, when I turn on Tracy, I'm just like, <laughs> it's like she owns me. And I love that because you really do help so many. And I, I see it pop up all the time too on Beachbody On Demand, where I don't know if you're seeing all the tags and posts and people love you. Well, I, I so appreciate hearing that. Um, because the tools that I share are really just to turn the light back to yourself. Mm -hmm. Because whatever I'm sharing and however people feel is has really has nothing to do with me. It mm -hmm. really has more to do with them. And, and hopefully that the stillness that they can receive um, by just listening to the instruction is kind of like, oh, I get to feel my own, own true nature. You know, and that's what happens when we just pause. And sometimes we just need another person to give us permission a few times to pause and stop and then feel what's really there. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what a meditation guide or a yoga nidra guide is doing is just providing the opportunity for you to be able to rest or to meditate or to pause and stop and just feel your true nature that that's it. I feel like our stories are slightly similar when I listen to you, where I was in Paris and I was working in fashion, but more behind the scenes. I was in love with like all of the spiritual books. I opened up this crazy studio, not even knowing what I was doing or why. Um, and, you know, we've grown so much. I don't see myself taking the teacher path because I always felt more like the agent Mm -hmm. of the teachers that I love um, 
but I just think it's so interesting and I'm excited to follow your story so that I can realize where I'm going next. (laughs) (laughs) But I wanted to just kind of read to you um, this thing that I thought would be interesting for you to just kind of reflect one sec. And that is, I was doing this yesterday when I was talking to a teacher and they didn't even realize, oh gosh, it's not coming up. Oh, wait there, Tracy. Ooh, good to know. There's a bug on that. The teachers aren't showing up, but kind of like all the amazing meditations you've done for the Unplug Meditation app. And there are a lot of them. Yeah, I have a lot. Yeah, They're incredible. But what we haven't done, because I wasn't really ready for it, was yoga nidra. Mm. I didn't want to call anything yoga. (laughs) I remember that. (laughs) I was like, don't call it yoga. You can do the body scan, but you can't call it yoga nidra. But I'm finding now that I, our clients are really craving that. Mm-hmm. So I definitely need you to do one more little filming for me. I need to <laughs> the yoga nidra. Um, where do you see yourself going? Or are you just enjoying the present moment right now? Mm, that's, that's a really great question. Um, you know, I feel like a craving for more expansiveness and um, an environment that really allows me to deepen my spiritual practice. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's this philosophy that there are like these four stages in life. What the first stage being a student, second stage being a householder, and then you kind of move into the stage of being a forest dweller. Um, And I feel like I'm moving into that forest dweller uh, vibe where I really just want to be able to spend time writing. Um, I want to spend time creating and doing more practice and being in more in commune with nature, um, being able to be in deep relationship with friends, um, where there's no outside, you know, kind of disturbances or distractions. Um, And at the same time, there's so much in this world that is happening right now um, that is being revealed and there's work to do. So I feel like my work right now uh, is what it has been for quite a while, which is to really train teachers so that they can go out into the world and share these tools, especially in places where they might not normally be shared, whether that is in a church in the South somewhere, or that's in a prison somewhere, or that's in a a home for battered women somewhere, or with kids or any place and every place uh, that is needed, which is also the CEOs of the tech companies and the big companies so that we can all kind of collectively have an awareness of what's really happening because there's so much turbulence um, and we're looking outside at the turbulence, but we're sometimes, um, not everyone, but a lot of times it's easier to look outside at the outer turbulence and not look in to the inner turbulence, Mm -hmm. um, which is why meditation is so powerful is because it gives us a window into the inner turbulence 
so that we can begin to calm the mind and also understand the source of the turbulence mm -hmm. so that we don't go out into the world and project it in violent ways that are not helpful um, and not walking around with thought constructs that divide people. So um, my work is just to continue sharing the tools that I've been lucky enough to gather over the last 20 years. Um, I feel like I've done a lot of study. I continue to do study. I'm a forever student. That's never going to end. And I'll just keep sharing what I've um, been able to gather and my humble understanding of that so that people can um, also have tools. We need to share tools. That's what we need to do is share practices. At least that's what I think for me. That's well, part of I my dharma. Say thank you for sharing so much of yourself with the unplug audience. Um, thank you for sharing the students that have taken your teacher training has really been amazing. And I, I definitely would love to have you as a feeder for Unplug as well. Um, mm. I really trust your training. Thank you. I've seen what it does and it's amazing. And I just want to say thank you. I love working with you. I love knowing you. I love meditating with you. And I look forward to many more years of being able to bask in your glow. Thank you so much. Thank you for all you do. You've given so many teachers a platform and a voice and just a way to, to share the tools. And we all, if we're all doing our Dharma, there's so much that can happen from that. So thank you for answering the call for your Dharma. Thank you.